Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to episode 8, season 2 of Coffee with the Johns. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I like it. I like, it. I like a, it. I'm a little bit on top of it now. You know, with uh, See, I can get here at 740 and you still got time to put everything together. Eat half your sandwich, eat half your... Look, when we get a bigger studio that you can walk around all the whole setup that we have, then yes. I got, I'm in, nimble. In, I'm nimble as a cat. I can get around this stuff. My, you knock down everything. All these You're big, all these nimble big as a of, these bowl in a china <laughs> shop. <laughs> Ferdinand. Ferdinand, yeah. Man, how's everything been? It's been a good week. It's been a good week. I got some some good uh, properties, got some good uh, information on some other deals that we're looking to close next week, and uh, looking good. We'll yeah. talk about them because they're not officially closed yet. Once they're closed, we can have a conversation well, about and then it. The, the, but, the sad truth about it is if you talk about a deal that is not quite closed yet, you run the risk of having some shady, douchey wholesaler uh go behind your back and try to poach that deal from you and it's happened to us no, before um no happen yeah so you got to be careful with what you say yeah but today we have a lot uh some interesting topics that we're going to be covering i wouldn't say a lot of topics just no, some good just interesting topics some really interesting deep topics that we're going to be getting into especially in the real estate uh niche and the real estate space and yes some of them are going to be political in nature because, again, politics drives policies which drive the market. So, and Elon Musk. And Elon Musk. <laughs> I didn't uh, get to him last week. No, we did get a little blip in there of him. So now I got an article from last week I didn't get to, primed for ready for this week. Uh, all right. We'll get into that. We're going to, the main topic, pretty much what we're going to be covering a lot on is, is, does the Texas real estate market still make sense to invest in? Is it overvalued? Is it overpriced? Um, we're seeing people overpaying for a lot of properties. So I, I have been speaking to investors where they've told me their concerns. Like, does this, does Texas still make sense? Did I miss my opportunity? So we're going to be covering that. We're going to be covering Avid, uh, removing the mandate for masks. And, and remember what my, one of my predictions was in yeah. December? That our mask mandate in Texas would go away by April. That was one of my predictions. When he called that, I was like... Called it. So I have to go back and listen to what the exact wording was, but I knew I had something about it. Yeah. I don't know if it was national or Texas, but I was like, we have the mass mandate going away by Because you're rarely right. So we'll have to go back and actually listen wow. to it. Oh, but we're also going to talk, we're going to talk about that and its uh, effects and very negative effects on businesses. Uh, a lot of business owners are reacting very negatively to this. So we're going to talk about that and what that means. FH. FA extends moratoriums again. What a surprise there. And I mean, we have a lot on obviously politics. Um, Obama and Sprucing are starting a Bruce pot. Springsteen. What did I say? Bruce Springsteen. Whatever. It's all together. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Springsteen. Obama and Springsteen are starting a podcast. Um, there's a lot of regulation going on on the big tech companies. So we'll, we have Got a lot to get into. coming through. Yeah, uh, and then then, then okay. there's the uh, is the question of is it needed? That's in a, several of our topics of people saying questioning like why are we doing such a large stimulus when we're getting a such good economic data coming out? Oh, that's one thing I wanted to check this morning. Jobs report was supposed to come out this morning. I think it comes out like nine, which six minutes ago. Yeah. 
So, so there's a lot to cover. As always, if you're finding value and you just love hearing us go back and forth at it, hit that like button and share it with somebody that you feel needs that, uh, needs to hear the stuff that we're putting out. A lot of people don't listen to news, which is great. And that's the purpose of this podcast is that we cover the news that actually will affect you and not all the other nonsense that you see out there. So we appreciate all the love and the sharing and, you know, the likes and stuff. And as always, put any of your questions and comments in the chat. Uh, We love seeing a nice, lively chat. We usually have a, a lot of smart people on here and having some very interesting conversations. So be sure to jump in and check that out. Um, but oh, I got the first go topic whenever you're ready. Go ahead. First so, topic. So I just pulled up CNBC to see what the job reports was. And what do you think happened in February? They were expecting, okay, this is what they were expecting. They were expecting 210,000 jobs to be added and the unemployment rate to stay unchanged at 6.3%. What do you think happened? Not that many jobs were added. 379,000 jobs were added and unemployment rate fell to 6.2%. So they added, they missed it by 169,000 jobs, almost damn near double of the jobs that they were expecting were added. Now Dow futures are jumping 200 points on that news. So they're jumping on the news. They're up 200. They were down, like they fell 600 yesterday. It's on a three day losing streak. It fell like 600 yesterday. um, And it felt like thousand or several hundred the day before. So like it's been kind of really falling the last several days on talks about inflation and now a lot of it's driven by this fact that they're wanting to pump this massive stimulus bill through when they're already projecting to have this massive budget deficit this year and now there's a lot of people coming out and just being like why do we need this other stimulus bill when you could just open up the economy and people are going to go back to work and the job market's going to recover on its own so that's something and i understand what's going on is the fact that they ran they got to get Trump out of the White House. They ran on pumping this massive stimulus bill to give all this unemployment insurance, to give all these checks to everybody and to do all these massive changes. But now when you look at the economic data, it's why do we need such a massive stimulus bill? So to keep that going, because the reason the stock market is going up, the reason, you know, the economy, the, the whole reason why they're even projecting a much higher GDP and their interest rates, I don't know if you heard, but they did go up. Uh, even for mortgages, we crossed above 3% for the 30-year. So all of this is because of the stimulus. The, every time they talk stimulus, every time they talk this, the market gets bullish and all of the things happen. Well, now if it's they don't, the opposite effect. Them talking stimulus is having a negative effect. In but their, then you just say the market jumped? On the jobs report. But it's been falling because of the stimulus, the, them talks of the stimulus and the deficit and cause of inflation and the 10-year treasury rising. Well, that's, I don't know. I mean, to me, it, I think it, it might be more because the stimulus has taken so long to actually get pushed through with all the politics, like always. The stimulus has taken forever to go through. Now it's at the Senate. The Senate is like revamping, doing whatever the hell they're going to do with it. Send it back to get reapproved. So I, it might be the delays on it, but as soon as they announced, as soon as Biden won and they announced the stimulus and everything, everything kept going up again. And all the that's when we saw the housing market, the FHFA, they changed their, uh, their guidance for the real estate market this year. They all changed them saying that interest rates were probably going to rise a little bit. 
now they're above three percent. Well, that's where I mean, is the thirty year already at above three percent? I didn't yeah, think it three point three point two, three point three. Did it cross over? I didn't think it had made it over that yet. 30 wow, two, no, no, no trust in the 2. business. Two point three. No. Two point three. I'm looking at it right now. No, I'm talking about mortgage rates. Oh, I thought you were saying thirty year treasury. No, no. Okay, mortgage okay. rates. But there's real estate. Things. Remember, we're in real estate. Yeah, but okay. the ten the ten year did go up. It's at over one and a half, and it's exactly. raised an entire percent in the last several months, and that's what's worrying people. Is like as debt gets more expensive, affecting credit cards, car loans, housing, and these companies, these big tech companies that use all that debt to try to change and expand their businesses. Yeah, that debt gets more expensive. Now they can't operate as efficiently, and they run into problems. Oh, but also so, remember that uh, Powell, Jerome Powell. Did I get the first name right this time? Uh, so Jerome Powell is changing, not changing, but you know, we've been looking at economics all wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> the money supply, stop. There's, that there's, doesn't matter. There's several articles that I found. So a lot of this one ties into, there'll be some real estate, but a lot of it is on what's going on in the current economy. So I have several articles in here that talk about that of Powell and his new policies that they're only focusing on unemployment, not yeah. so much in, inflation, but well, they and not even about, unemployment. They're focusing on Employment. 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 Exactly. And the problem is reading this, they're saying, well, with these new stimulus packages allowing people to stay unemployed, and essentially I was running the numbers today, here in Texas, somebody can make the equivalent of $45,000 a year on unemployment. Like, those people that are unemployed probably don't make forty-five grand a year yeah. off unemployment. Now they can get forty-five grand a year. They're saying, what's going to be the problem if inflation does start to creep up and unemployment stays low or employment stays low because- these people are getting such good unemployment benefits. They don't want to go back to the workforce because that's part of this package is that they're extending the, they're boosting the pack, the unemployment to $400 a week. And then they are trying to extend it to the end of August. And now somebody can say, I don't feel safe at work because of COVID. And they can choose not to go back to the workforce right. and go on unemployment, which I, that just blows my mind. But what's going to happen if un, uh, interest rates do continue to rise and the Fed does have to rise interest rates? But the employment numbers aren't where they're supposed to be yet because people are choosing to stay unemployed. So that, it's a very, well, what happens in that scenario? And again, what the Fed's point was and what we talked about last week on Coffee with the Johns was they're changing what all that looks like because they were saying before, you know, we had a correlation between unemployment and interest rates and all of that. He's like, that doesn't need to be true. Meaning that the unemployment rate can essentially drop but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to raise interest rates. They're like that. That should, he's like that's old school ways of thinking, you know. Like so, he is pretty much saying like, again, the rules, all these things are changing. Yeah. They're no longer going to be using the same metrics that we've used, that we've all you know we've looked into. Um, they, they're looking to change all that just so it fits the narrative, which is what the Fed wants, which is what Janet Yellen wants which is just more money printing. They want to get more money into the market. They call it stimulation, but it's not stimulating anything because all the money they drop in the stimulus checks and everything, it's not going back into the market. Savings have gone up oh, on people. I have, I have some of that in here. So the first article, we've touched it like six times. So we'll just start with it. The US mm -hmm. economy is on fire and it's about to get stoked even more. So, I mean, some of these articles, like I, I tried to shorten them down, but there's so much in them that it's like, I. To get the context, I had to put it all in here. So bear you with just me. Had to. You so just it says, had to. The U.S. economy has roared back to life in 2021. With first quarter 
growth set to defy even the rosiest expectations as another fresh influx of cash looms. Manufacturing data showed the sector is at its highest growth level since August of 2018. So not just last year. So this is like middle of Trump's uh, tenure was the of August 2018. The Atlanta Federal Reserve, which tracks data in real time to estimate changes in gross domestic product, now is indicating a 10% gain for the first three months of the year. So 10% growth in the GDP in just the first uh, quarter. That growth comes on the heels of a report Friday showing that personal income surged 10% in January, thanks largely to 600 stimulus checks from the government. Household wealth increased nearly $2 trillion from the month, while spending rose just 2.4% or $340 billion. Those numbers, among, among with a burst of nearly $4 trillion in savings, pointed to an economy not only growing powerfully, but also one that is poised to continue that path through the year. The V-shaped recovery in real GDP will remain V-shaped during the first half of this year and probably through the end of the year. However, however, it will no longer be a recovery. Beyond Q1, because real GDP will be fully recovering during that quarter, thereafter GDP will an expansion in record high territory. This is where I get like this massive stimulus package when you see all of this data coming in of just gangbuster economic outputs jobs reports today blowing it out of the water blowing out the first core gdp blowing out the savings rate and now they're going to say but we need to pump another two trillion dollars right. in the market i don't i don't see why economists previously hadn't expected the 21.5 trillion u.s economy to regain its pandemic related losses until at least the second or third quarter of this year if not later another reason where they're saying well we need to pump this money in to get to that point we already crossed the point that you guys were trying to say we needed this money for. So their reasoning behind this is being invalidated by all the data that's coming out. Well, not, of well they they're, to do they're it. changing that is what we what I was saying before is that what their reasoning is, what their metrics were, they're changing those metrics to suit the narrative. So they want to keep printing and dumping more money into the market. So before it was low unemployment, and we talked about this last week about how during the la the Great Recession that we had the 2008 crash and everything that we had in 2008, that all of the unemployment that that caused, all of the loss of mortgages, loss of everything, all, all the trouble that that caused, it didn't, they did a stimulus of 800 billion and yeah. they didn't do any stimulus checks. Well, they did quantitative easing, but they didn't do any stimulus checks to the public, anything like that. We had much higher unemployment for a much longer time. It took us to 2014 before we went below um, I want to say it was 6%, I think it was, uh, unemployment. And that's pretty much where we are now already. Yeah. So they're changing the metrics. They're changing the guides. Yeah, so the article continues, with strong federal fiscal support and continued progress on vaccination, GDP growth this year could be the strongest we've seen in decades. New York Federal Reserve President John Williams said it in a speech last week, which is crazy. Like the Federal Reserve chairmen are coming out. You got the New York Federal Chair saying that it's going to be strongest we've seen in decades. The Atlanta Fed saying we're going to have a 10% growth. So in, so in the article continues, in fact, questions persist about whether the $1.9 trillion spending plan from the Biden administration is necessary, at least to that magnitude. An economy poised to show its fastest annual growth pace since at least 1984 doesn't seem like a very good candidate for more spending at a time when the federal government already is expecting to run a $2.3 trillion budget deficit this year. One of the minor weaknesses in or major weaknesses in the economy right now, despite a drop in the headline unemployment rate from a pandemic high of 14.8 to now 16.2 or 6.2, 
Unemployment in the hospitality sector has fallen by more than 3.8 million from a year ago, and the jobless rate for the industry is stuck at 15.9%, fully 10 percentage points higher than January 2020. My response to that is like, stop. Like those people are on a hospitality is unemployed. Your restaurants, your bar owners, your hotels. It's because everything is still shut down. You look at California, like there's still 96% of their counties are in the highest tier of lockdowns still to this day. And then you look at what now was, I think, what was the other Mississippi, Texas, Florida has been without a mask mandate hundred percent for quite some time. I can't remember another one of the Midwestern states said we are done with this business as usual, hundred percent, all mandates. I think even Connecticut, which is a blue state is saying we're done with this and they're rolling back their restrictions on it. They haven't pulled back the mask mandate, but they're going hundred percent with over the next like four to six weeks as well. So that's one of these things. It's like, if you just let these people, that area, what you're saying, they're changing the narratives. Like these are the people that need the unemployment. It's like, no, they don't. They just need to go back to work. Like you just need to be able to allow people well, to go back to work, but it's there. I, 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 my speculation, why they're doing this is they ran on this platform. They can't let this platform die yet because it's what they need to do to can't right. come through with their campaign promises. And now they got the whole government under control. So they need, they're not done using this pandemic yet to their advantage to get these things done that they want to use to justify these massive changes and coming through on the promises that. And that was also my issue when we were talking about it last year that everybody kept saying, Oh, watch as soon as, you know, the elections is over, the pandemic is going to be over. And, uh, you know, one of my points was, well, if Biden was to get elected, they can't just make it go away because that was the whole big scare of why he got elected, right? Is because the Republicans undervalued the the severity of this crisis, of this pandemic. So they can't just make it go away. Like it's going to take, yeah, it's going to take some time. They got to be strategic about it because they, you know, they people are it. not that stupid. They and, need it for their policies. Well, not just that, but like kind of tying into, you know, uh, Abbott releasing the mass mandate right so he he made the the speech this week that starting wednesday he's going to release the the um, you have you being forced to wear a mask now he's being slick about it because now he's putting it on the business to be political where he's making it the business has the right to to be um uh what was it da -da 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 -da. You're looking for a term? No, 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 no. Because he said in here, you know, that you are, that you still need to be responsible and understand that the virus is still a threat. It's still an issue. So you as the business owner need to decide whether you're going to ask for masks or not. Yeah. To me, that is a, a very, a very political politician kind of thing and very sleazy from a politician to do because what I see with that is that you are now taking the responsibility off your shoulders for why businesses cannot allow people to come in and you're making businesses get political. You're making, because that's what this mass mandate has become. It's, it's very little to do with the virus and a lot more to do with politics. Like, you know, if, if you, if you're a business owner and you say, Hey, you have to wear a mask, you're pretty much saying, I'm a Democrat, right? 
to a lot of people. That's what they're saying. And if you say, you know, hey, look, you don't have to wear a mask. You're a Republican. It's been political, right? It's not, well, there's a virus. There's an actual issue going on. There's a there's threat to your health, to whatever it may be. No, it's not about that. Now it's about, you know, what political party are you? And what Abbott did, I think, is a bit of a chicken shit way out of it because he's flip-flopped a lot during this whole crisis. You know what I mean? Like, Florida has stuck to their guns. That's why I believe Florida's not getting so much shit like Texas is. You know what I mean? Texas is getting a lot of crap from well, a lot also, of people. they removed their mask mandate. Did they, have, did they implement a mask mandate? I don't remember. Uh, no. But he also said they were opening up 100% back when the Trump administration was still. So they didn't have control of everything yet to slam Florida. Texas is just the first one to start but does rolling it, things but back. That's what I, but what I'm saying is that they've, they've been, they stuck to their guns. Texas could have done that back then. Yeah. You know what I mean? They did it. I'm not saying they should have. What I'm saying is the issue that I'm seeing with Abbott is you gotta, you gotta pick a side. You gotta stay true to you you know what i'm saying and like you keep flip-flopping for the public and for politics i mean 2022 is when the re-elections are for governor he's yeah. trying to run so now we're seeing this whole thing become again political you're gonna you know you're in texas you're gonna start seeing this really explode over this year uh you have uh o'rourke uh Bet beto beto o'rourke is coming out again and obviously he's gonna probably be one of the people running against Abbott and they're making this political again. They're making it like, you know, Oh, this is so, um, what did Beto say? He put it, he is, this is a death warrant and the governor is killing the people of Texas by doing this. Yeah. The San Antonio Spurs coach, uh, pop came out and Popovich. said pretty mystifying and ignorant. Um, you know, it, then who was it? Fort Worth Business Press editorial said, "It's official. Greg Abbott is a moron." So you're having all these people coming out against it. They're gonna make it political to get them out because they want to, you know, get turn Texas more blue than it is. And he's just not sticking to his guns. Like he's not sticking to his. He's not picking a side. He flip flops, and now you're releasing it, and you're like, "Oh, now you business owners. Now you're giving the business owners a choice." Why didn't you do this before? I mean, it's going to, because I mean, Molly's coming in chat. So is uh, Val. Um, and we had a discussion about this last night was just like, it should have always been the business's decision. 100%. Businesses from the very beginning can in Texas can choose just like a person can person can choose whether they want to wear a mask and a business can decide whether they want to require people to wear masks in their establishments. Yeah. They could have done that from the very beginning, but they didn't want to. So the government had to step in and told everybody they had to do it or well, no, the government, the, Texas, the governor allowed it to happen, allowing the county judges to enforce these mandates and stuff and that, like that. That's what I'm saying. To like, it. Uh, to me, is a very um, uh, this is a French word I learned, but it's a very bitch way out of it. Where <laughs> it's Bichon. like Bichon. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? What are you building for the future? Uh, yeah, more hypocrisy. But because you know, again. Why didn't the business have the right to choose the in the first place, right? You took that right away. And now when it's so it's a climate that's so unstable and everything, it's like, uh, okay, here you go. You you choose. Like, wow, great job, Dick. 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. now it's on me. Now I'm the one that's going to look terrible. And well, I mean, to Val's point here, she goes, I just feel bad for employees now because I feel that there will be more confrontations from customers not wanting to abide by business rules just because there's no more mandate. And I know that's one thing HEB came out. It's like they're strongly, strongly, strongly encouraging customers to wear masks, but they're not going to require them because of the fear of confrontations of them trying to enforce those things. Cause that's the problem they were having beforehand is they were saying, you need to wear masks, you need to wear masks. And people were like, no, I don't have to. Nothing says I have to. Yeah. And that's where I agree. It's, it does suck for them, but it's also one of the things that it should have been the business decisions from the very beginning. It should have never been the government's job to say, we need to force everyone to wear masks. Like no businesses can choose whether they want people to wear masks or not. It's their choice. So the press secretary came out and said, the um, Texas, I would imagine, um, the fact is Texas now has the tools and knowledge to combat COVID while also allowing Texans and small businesses to make their own decisions. State mandates are no longer needed. Um, there's people, business owners and uh, other people saying, they, you know, if businesses are requiring my mask, uh, requiring me to wear a mask, then they obviously don't need my money. I can find another store. HEB, for example, never had a mask requirement for its customers, instead deferring to local and state ordinances. Now the state will no longer require masks in public settings. HEB will follow the, direct, the direction except in areas where masks are mandated by local officials. So again, you're putting it now on the businesses. Businesses are... I mean, and this is a question I have for you and for people listening. You own a business that's customer facing, right? That you have a lot of flow of traffic. Retail. Yeah, yeah anything. Retail. A gym, retail, because I mean, the, the gym that I go to, the Kung Fu gym that I go to, they, they make us wear a mask while we're doing the training. You know, it's extremely that fun. Sucks. It's a hell of a workout because my heart rate goes way the hell up when you can't breathe. Oh, yeah, when you um, can't breathe no oxygen. People just <laughs> passing out everywhere. That's healthy. Yeah. Oh, no, nobody's passing out. But, you know, but I also understand in their position as a business owner, it's difficult. It's a difficult choice because, like, if you say, hey, you don't have to wear a mask, then people that are scared about this because we've spent already a year on this right we started last yeah, march I mean, the last shutdown it was Mar during is middle yeah it's right around the beginning around of this march, time? Yeah, so in a week or two we spent a year on this so the fear people have is insane you know what i mean there there are people that are legit terrified of catching covid you know what i mean like petrified of catching covid and then you have the other your other side that could give two shits about COVID and all of its repercussions or any of that. So what do you do as a business owner? Like as a business owner, at the end of the day, of course, you want your customers to be safe. You don't want them, uh, you know, blaming your establishment for the reason their mom died or, you know what I mean? Like for something severe. But then at the same time, it's like, what do you do? Like you alienate, I mean, now the government is making you alienate the other side, you know, because it's political. It hasn't been about the virus anymore. So I think this is very dangerous. What, do you, what would you do as a business? Like if you're a customer-facing business, what would you do? What's the right move for you? I mean, you have to play to your your base and your customers. It's your business. You need to do decide for you. It's like, what do I want to do? And I mean, 
you have to look at it from, I mean, you're in business to make money and make a lifestyle. Right. Which one's going to be least impactful to your bottom line and your business, your cash flow and your lifestyle? Requiring masks, you run the risk of people not coming in. Not requiring masks, you run the risk of people not coming in. So you have to determine which one's a bigger risk to your business and play to that. And being here in Texas, hearing the things, stories that are coming out of HEB, you kind of got to say it's up to the people what they want to do. Because I think you're going to have more people that are fed up with this. Being Now, if this was California, I would say the opposite. But being here in Texas, I would say it's kind of hard to force that on customers coming in because I think there are people that are still the quote-unquote true kind of Texan kind of style of just like, no, I don't want to be told what to do. Yeah, It's my choice. If I want to wear it, I can wear it. If I don't want to wear it, I don't have to wear it. So that is something that I think you have to do in Texas here. I think it's as a business owner, it's like, it's I think, it'd be a disservice to your bottom line by trying to force people to wear masks. I think there's other choices that other people can go and there's enough people saying, you know what, there's enough people that are tired of this crap. I think there's the the silent majority that are just like, I'm over it, but the news controls the narrative yeah. that if you try to do that, I think there's people like there's other options. I can go somewhere else. I can take my money and go somewhere else. I think that would happen if somebody tries like a boutique shop, somebody that's like, I need the foot traffic, but if I'm forcing these people are going to my competitor, they're not like big multinational conglomerates like HEB. That's like, you really don't have much else to shop. Where are you going to go Walmart? Like, I think yeah. if HEB forced it, yeah, they'd have the confrontations and they're doing it because of the safety of their employees getting berated and yelled at. But I think they, if they forced it, they're not going to take that big of a hit. Their people would because of dealing with the people, but I don't think their bottom line would because you don't have the options. But if you got a small little retail shop in the Pearl, you could have people that like, I don't, I don't want to carry a mask with me anymore. It's over. It's done with. And if they want to require it, I'm not going to go in that store. And they walk yeah. right past it. They didn't have one on them. They want to go into the shop. Can't mask. Don't have one. Sorry. I go to the next shop because those shops are tiny little boutiques that are very specialty shops that have a unique customer base. Yeah. So I think you have to play to your customer base and where you're going to get the most negative effect from. But I think oh, here so here's the other interesting point is when you look at the stats across the country, um, places that have been more open, like Florida, versus places that haven't, like you know California and stuff like that, the numbers are pretty much the same. Like when you're looking at each state as far as people getting COVID. People getting oh, hospitalized. You're saying like you got New York and California versus Texas and Florida, and it's like they're pretty neck and neck. Yeah, like you look at all the numbers and everything, and they're not. You know, obviously you got to take the proportions of population and all of that, but it's not like you're saying, "Look, there's drastic evidence on either situation." It's my opinion. Again, guys, this is an opinion. We're not doctors, yeah. attorneys, accountants. Veterinarian, engineers, scientists. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, these are no all opinions. <laughs> but my opinion on all this is that this virus is not going to be eradicated. You understand? It's going to be like the, it's flu. the flu. It's going to be it's like be something around. that is, you know, are people going to die from it? Yeah, some people will. Most will not. Some, some will get very sick. Some people still die from the most flu. Most will not. Most people don't. You know, most will recover. Like, it's just going to be, you know, you can't shut down the whole country 
because of this. And and Tony Robbins came out and said this uh, oh, in a video that, was, that, that was, I was shocked. But, you know, you're Tony Robbins. Should, you should, so. One of those you should link below. Yeah. I, he, it's not but, like Tony Robbins is a small small character no. either. I mean, he's well, a big guy, and, but and I mean, he's, he's also he he's also, half a million dollars. He's a motivational speaker and everything. And for him to half come out and say this, like, you know, it was very interesting. But he came out and pretty much said that he's like the same amount of people that died last year, the year before, the year before that. Have died this year. Yeah, like it was, nothing. It, it like, like okay, you you kind of said that in a weird way. It's like the same number of people died well, in twenty twenty that died in twenty nineteen that died in twenty eighteen seventeen sixteen fifteen. Yeah. So twenty fifteen to twenty twenty, the same number of people across the world died. Yeah. So you didn't let me finish. What I'm saying is, I what he said is that yeah, as long as it makes sense to you. <laughs> Wait, what he was saying is that. We switched one one group of uh, one reason for people dying for another reason for people dying, but the same amount of people died anyway. You're putting everybody in bubbles, putting everybody in their home, right? And people are dying from depression now, alcohol, drug Suicide. abuse, suicides. I mean, it's gone nuts in the complete other direction. But none of those things are important. What's what matters is that you don't catch COVID. That's yeah. what matters. Oh, I just saw. I was walking through the gym this morning. And uh, they had an article up that said teen suicides on the rise, like drastically, the point where like people are starting to notice. And they're like, "What's causing it?" Well, then they they straight out say it's isolation from their friends and family. It's like they're isolated. They're doing book work. They're by themselves. Like a young child needs to be out and developing and meeting other people. They're, especially if they they've been that way for as teenagers. Like growing up, they were meeting their friends. They were talking with. They were used to that commodity, that that engagement, that feeling of being important and part of a group and then you shove them in a room so they make them sit in front of a computer for five hours a day doing book work it's like they feel inadequate they feel worthless and now suicide's on the rate but like that's still not checking the narrative and that's one thing it's like i think it's disgusting what politics have done with this disease over the past year is year year well yeah just a year of this route that's going and they're refusing to let it die especially when you look at those numbers like to tony's point where he said he's like Cancer, what are the two main killers of like in 2019, 18, 17, 15 back? He's like, it was heart disease and cancer. He's like, well, in 2020, heart disease and cancer were drastically down, but COVID was up in an equal proportion of the amount. So it's like you just took cancer and heart rate, didn't kill people, but COVID did the exact same amount, but the same, the net same number of people died. That's a very odd stat. And then you combine New York numbers versus in California numbers versus Texas and Florida, your four biggest contributors of GDP in populous states and their numbers are equal yeah. and they've got two completely different policies policies yeah. against it. And now you got, well, and, well, you got the, California the, being trying to re, uh, recall Newsom over his handling of the pandemic. And be- the biggest re- difference between their policies though, is that between California and, and Texas and all that is that one, the numbers are the same regardless, because I, I think the virus needs to go through, people anyway you need to get to that um herd immunity immunity point anyways if if there even is is immunity like it's just like the flu right like the flu comes every year um it needs to go through any the difference is that now you're adding to that by destroying people's businesses destroying people's livelihoods causing more stress anxiety i mean even just the that fear that people have is nuts. Yeah. You know, that fear that people have ab- about, you know, going out and seeing somebody like what we're, what I think we're going to see over the next coming weeks, especially in Texas, 
is we're going to see probably some escalation of tension and everything because you're going to have these people that now want to make their point that they're not going to wear a mask oh, it's gonna be like, versus the people that want to make their point that you have it? to wear a mask. April, May, June last year, we had those tensions really rising before yeah. Texas or before Abbott came in and called it. And it was like, you need to wear a mask, you need to wear a mask. No, you don't, no, you don't. And like the tensions were really up there until you kind of got that second wave, third, I don't know, lost, I lost track of the waves. Yeah. Like whatever that wave was last summer to where they're like, okay, now we need to come in and put a mask mandate in place. And that's exactly what it did, right? They came in, they put the mask mandate in place, and it took that pressure off of individuals. It took that pressure off of businesses having to mandate, having to force, having to be political about it. Yeah. Because again, it's become political. It has not become about the virus. And that's where I think it's sad because is this if if this virus was much more severe than it is, like we cannot... You're, you're making people be emotional about something that can kill you, right? Like, yeah. that's what I find stupid. It's like, it should not be political. It should just be common sense. You understand? Like, if this virus is deadly and it's dangerous, it shouldn't be about, are you a Republican or you're a Democrat? It's like, no. You wear a mask or not wear a mask. Exactly. You understand? So, but you look at all that and that's exactly where it's become. Okay. Um... That's exactly what it's become. I don't know if uh, it knocked out my uh, other freaking feed. For those who don't know what just happened, John's phone rang, and that's one of our cameras. Yeah. So. You got to love it. So it, it, you're looking at it. They're forcing people. They're, for, they're putting this on people. They're putting all this stress, all this tension. People don't know what to think. I, I talk to people that are f afraid of uh, COVID and everything, and I'm... We talk about numbers. We talk about everything because I want to understand. And they don't have really any facts to back it except, well, look at the news. Look at the news. And I'm like, well, how about you just stop looking at the news? Because you're just in constant fear with no education. And there's a, a quote, not a, well, yeah, I guess it's a quote. But Denzel Washington was quoted saying one time, um, if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. But if you watch the news, you're misinformed. Yeah, there you go. I was like, that's, that's, that's a, some it's, smart it's shit. It's a dangerous position to be in, too. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? But it's also one of the things with this, like, Abbott's going 100%. Like, he made the point. He's like, we aren't changing that much. We were already at 75% across the board. It's like, so I thought we're, we were at, oh, in San Antonio, we were at 50 no, they rolled it back for a little bit, but then they jumped right back up. They, but you heard them roll it back. But you didn't tell them. You, they didn't I didn't talk, hear them they didn't go talk. back. No, of course you didn't hear that they were opening things back up. Why That's, would they do that? I'd right, let you know. As like they're opening things back up 100. percent So yeah. it, it's just one of those that it's just like man, they really politicized this and made it something. Um, yeah, and, and then you you put an article in here that says Fed Chairman Colin Powell. Um, yeah, just come in. Yeah, good. Go. The uh, chairman uh, Powell says economic reopening could cause inflation to pick up temporarily. What I find funny is here. So you guys see the article. Um, let me actually let me move this down a little bit because if you see that banner at the top, so Fed Chairman Powell says economic reopening could cause inflation to pick up temporarily, and then on the top it says breaking news: Dow rises more than two hundred points as strong job report boosts reopening optimism. 
So <laughs> you have the job report, <laughs> the reopening optimism is yeah. making the, you know, uh, everything, everybody more, the Dow go up and everything. But then you have the Colin Powell coming out and say, not Colin, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair <laughs> coming Powell, out and saying Powell. reopening could cause inflation to pick up temporarily. So we go back with the misinformation and all of the stuff that's going on. But you want to cover that article that you put? Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of got the gist of it, of what they're exactly doing. It's like the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, um, said Thursday that he expects some inflation pressures in the time, in the time ahead, but they likely won't be enough to spur the central bank to hike interest rates. And that's what's causing the problem is like, what is, what are they going to do? And there's a lot of talk about they're going to do kind of a twist because long-term interest rates are rising, but low ones, uh, but short ones are still low. So they're talking about re doing some modifications or policy where they start selling the shorts to buy longs to kind of flatten the yield curve a little more so they don't have this spike in the 10-year, 10-year, 20, and 30-year treasuries. And how so are they going to do that? They sell short-term bonds to make the, sh the short-term rise so they can buy long-term. So they don't change their policy because right now they're buying $120 billion a month in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. So they're not changing the policy. So they want the short-term interest rate to rise, but the long-term to fall, to flatten the yield curve down. Because right now it's zero in that long-term curve starting to rise. Right. So to get to flatten it, they sell the short-term treasuries. So when they sell them, that increases interest rates and they buy the long-term to bring the yield curve down to get it more flat. So that's one thing they're talking about doing. So it's a net it, the, the bond purchasing program doesn't change. It just changes the way it works to kind of flatten the yield curve down if that 10, 20, 30 year starts to rise at too fast a pace and causing problems. So uh, it's like rising interest rates, he added, would require the economy to be back to full employment infl in inf and inflation to hit a sustainable level above 2%. He does not expect either one to happen this year. The Fed has reportedly said it will keep short-term rates anchored near zero and continue its monthly bond buying program unless it sees not only a low unemployment rate, but also a job recovery that is inclusive across. This is one thing I kind of got me where I think it's an open to keep things low to keep the gas on. So they say unemployment rate, but also a job recovery that is inclusive across income, gender, and racial lines. That last little piece is like, wait, what? Across income, gender, and racial lines. So if gender and racial unemployments are still high, you're going to keep pumping money into the market to try to target these people but the fed does not have direct ability to do those things they control monetary policy not fiscal policy says so uh-huh says you says, okay says the news but yeah right it, who knows what they're <laughs> actually including but one thing my speculation on why they're doing this yeah. like all this stuff is because they realize that there's such a and nobody's talking about it but i bet they're talking about it like behind closed doors they don't want the news to hear about it is there's such a massive level of debt in the world that they have to cause inflation. They have to weaken these systems and these currencies to a level to where it wipes away all of this debt to get housing prices through the roof to pay back. What is it? Today's dollars with tomorrow's cheaper dollars. Right. Right. Well, yeah. that that's one thing that, you know, I've said in previous episodes of why the biggest in the smartest investment and the best investment that you have right now is going to be a, your mortgage. 
it's going to be a 30-year mortgage because you're going to get a 30-year fixed mortgage with these low interest rates, and you're going to be paying off this mortgage with cheaper and cheaper dollars. Well, and it's also so like it's going to get to a point where you have a mortgage that's worth so much more because that mortgage is so cheap compared yeah. to what the money supply and everything is. And the more they keep dumping, that's why when, when last week when I read that article, it, it just, I was reading it and I was just like, holy crap, even though that you and I had spoken about this, like things don't anymore make sense to me about what economics is. But for him to say money supply, that's a thing of the past. Stop thinking about Doesn't money supply. Anymore. It's like, what do you mean don't think about money supply? That you're going to be causing huge asset bubbles. But then at the same time, it's like, are they going to be bubbles? Because who, why would they pop anymore when they manipulate all the metrics? They manipulate everything. Well, that's what I think. I think that's what they're trying to do is like they want to create so many bubbles that everything's a bubble to where it's just it's just normal. Like there isn't anything to pop anymore in because a bubble ev- world because everything has risen up with it. They've pumped so it, much. They want money. you to live in a bubble. They want to inflate bubbles. They er- they erased them. There's no. They, we can call it a bubble, but it's not anymore because they created a new normal by creating so much new money and keeping interest so low and creating inflation to go so high and change the metrics yeah. of what rates inflation to keep it at that two percent till they like like you said they move one thing out they put another thing in it which is. I see why they do it because like it, purchasing moves. So if somebody can't afford five ninety nine beef and they see chicken for three ninety nine, they're going to buy chicken over the beef if they're at the bottom. So that's why they take that out and put the new one in. Everything needs to rise. Yeah. But until they get that low rate up to a point where they erases all of this debt that it, it creates so much cash that you have a new normal. There is no longer bubbles because everything has risen. You look at the stock market, you look at commodities, you look yeah. at oil, you look at real estate, every asset class, except for, I mean, even bonds went, went up these last well, couple of years. Look at on all the stocks, the PE ratios and everything. Like there, when I used to uh, invest in stocks and trade stocks and everything, I remember how you would look at PE ratios. You will look at are is a stock overvalued? Oh, well, is a stock talk- you know you know it, it worth or is it selling for more than it's really worth? Now it's like, well, yeah, that kind of doesn't matter because before when that was it would when the PE ratio would hit a certain number, then you would see a sell off. You would see something happen. Yeah. Now that PE ratio just keeps going up, keeps going up, keeps going up, and people keep buying more. And I'm like, huh. And and when you look at it, the amount of people jumping in the stock market, more and more unsophisticated people, yeah. right? Before you need to, you needed to have a level of sophistication to jump into well, the stock market. Well, you needed money to do it too, well, because like it, yeah. like if you went to an old school brokerage twenty years ago, like it cost you money to get in the market. You made a trade five bucks, yeah. So instantly you had to get that much of a return back. And if you were only putting in a hundred dollars plus five dollars, it wasn't worth it. Well, and now with the apps like Robinhood and and all these that are making it cool to invest in the stock market. Oh, you understand that it, it's now it's cool to do this. It's cool to speculate. Um, you know, just buy more Bitcoin. Oh, look, somebody, you know, Elon Musk tweeted about this. Go buy that. It's become cooler to do it, and the lack of education on fundamentals, on what makes sense, and all of that is yeah. just no longer exists. That's why. Yeah. The conversation that you and I had were having was, you know, 
you went a whole life knowing that two plus two equals four, and now people are saying two plus two equals four? Well, hold on. It depends if it equals four. What's the two identify What? As? Yeah, what does the two identify as? <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. <laughs> my God, that was funny. What does the two identify as? Oh, my God. Um, That's the kind of uh, humor no, no, that no, you guys no. are going to get. In, in all reals, like, yeah. they change everything. It's like, well that number doesn't matter anymore like this number now is into this new number like what about the old one that doesn't matter anymore it's like they, they're making the choice to change it their narratives and like what they target so it is something that uh is interesting and you lead it leads right into like what does somebody do and because right. like buffett comes out warren buffett the oracle of omaha you guys don't know who he is i'm oracle sorry Omaha. um you never heard that? Yeah, I did. It's, oh, I it's just always say, been so cool. Because it's, it's like, from uh, Omaha, Nebraska, yeah. where it's like it's a flyover state. Like there's it's Cornhusker. It's nothing but cornfields out in western uh, Nebraska. Um, but his article is called Buffett says never bet against America in a letter noting companies U.S. assets. So <laughs> for those of you who don't, don't know, uh, Warren Buffett is owns a massive conglomerate in the article they talked about like he low he owns the largest holding of u.s based physical assets as far as like buildings railroads trains infrastructure everything to where he is um i think he was like 157 billion the next person was 18t at like 120 so i mean he's got a lot of assets so the 90 and he's 90 years old, which is crazy remains and he remains. So, but he's also heavily invested in the United States in flyover States in old school value ad companies. Not a whole, even though Apple's his biggest holding, he owns BNSF railroad. He owns a lot of insurance companies. He owns a lot of brick and mortar style businesses. So that's why they're saying he, and he puts out an annual letter every year to all of his CEOs of all the companies that he has. And there's, and he says, and they're like in a letter to noting his company's U S assets. So people are saying, well, well Buffett anymore, these value ads, should we bet against Buffett because he's underperformed the last 10 years? So he says, never bet against America. He said in his letter, he says, and Buffett reminded investors that miracles do occur in middle America, despite much of the attention to coastal areas. After all, the legend started his conglomerate in Omaha, Nebraska, and its home office remains based in the Cornhusker state. He quotes success stories around about abound throughout America. Since our country's birth, individuals with an idea, ambition, often a little piece of just a penance of capital have succeeded beyond their dreams by creating something new or by improving the customer experience with something old. And he says, bonds are not the place to be these days. Fixed income investors worldwide, whether pension funds, insurance companies, or retirees face a bleak future. So it plays to your point that he sees this, that yeah. it's like they're pumping so much money in this that bonds are already at a zero load. They're going to let inflation run and it's going to erode any kind of principal payment that comes from these long-term bonds to generate capital. And he sees that heading for the next decade or more of what's going to happen. Yeah. And some of the things he's taken to, to combat this is a Brookshire bought back another near $9 billion of its own stock in the fourth quarter of 2020, bringing the firm's total repurchase to 24.7 billion last year, a record year for buybacks. The conglomerate still is sitting on a huge cash war chest with more than 138 billion at the end of 2020. So you got the Oracle of Omaha telling people it's like, he sees what's happening with all this money printing. And that's what's kind of 
not being said that I'm reading is like, they want to pump this money in here. So they're making it political, but they want to pump this money in here. They want to get this stuff in the market. They want to erode the dollar. They want to bring asset prices up through the roof to create this new cash to erase the old, uh, erase the old debt and everything like that and pay back with cheaper dollars. So you also got to think about like, they can't, you know, even when you have Ray Dalio and stuff like that, that he comes out, he's another big investor. And they are invested in the stock market. You understand? Like, it is to their benefit for the stock market to keep going up because the companies, all the businesses they're invested in. And, you know, people always say, Warren Buffett, you know, well, he buys stocks. No, Warren Buffett doesn't buy stocks. He buys 10, 20% of a business. Yeah, he buys it through stock, yes. Yeah, but like, he buys 20% of the, all the stock. I've exactly. Seen. He he has a controlling say in the company. Like, he's not buying common shares like most people are. So they have a vested interest in all this. And then I also believe, like, what it is, as long as... The U.S. dollar is still the reserve currency of the world, and China's trying to take that position. But as long yeah. as the U.S. is still the, uh, the reserve currency, I wouldn't bet against the U.S. either because they control everything. Uh, being the reserve currency, they can print. They can do whatever the hell they want. What else are you going to do? What other option do you have? Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I agree. I wouldn't bet on the U.S., but at the same time, the instability this is creating is ridiculous. You know what I mean? And this is something that it does worry me because it's stuff that you look at all the money printing, you look at everything, you look at, again, all the values of companies being extremely overvalued. It's like, what what's this all going to look like? You yeah. know, and, and one of the points I wanted to hit on is I was just thinking about it this morning as I was driving here. The book we just read the book by Patrick but David called Your Next Five Moves. And it made me think of that book because what I realized, not just with this, but like with everything, people are just no longer strategic. People are no longer thinking more than one move ahead. They're not thinking more than the now. They're not yeah. thinking about tomorrow. They're not thinking about you know, in five years from now. They're not thinking about any of that. But you have countries like China that has been. For a very long time. They've been very strategic in planning, setting up, getting themselves ready to become the world power. They've been very slowly working their way up year after year, decade after decade. They're very strategic. They have a plan in mind that I believe last I read was 2028 to be the world power. That long? Yeah. I thought it was like 2025 or something. Yeah. Oh, it well, might be, maybe. But, it's like yeah. they are- but they have a goal in mind that they're going to hit. While we are over here fighting with ourselves over the dumbest things possible. And you have masks. these countries fighting each other about math. And you have these countries that are being strategic. They're thinking so far ahead. But what the problem that we have is the same problem that we had in Argentina. Argentina, like we said before, prior to 2000, it was a world power. Argentina had everything. They could they had gold, natural resources, oil, agriculture, agriculture co- coastal everything everything so they had all the power but what happened is a president will come in put in policies steal some money then he will leave the next president comes in undoes everything the last president did and they rinse and repeat so the country never moved forward because every 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 presidential election every new president 
it turned out that they just kept changing whatever it was, changing whatever. So they never build on anything. And the U.S. is doing exactly that. We're going president after president, not building on a damn thing. Because every president that comes in undoes whatever the last one did. They come up with whatever asinine ideas they have of whatever magical world they live in. But they don't really care because all they're thinking about is their next election. That's it. They're not thinking well, about the why, country in, as an overall. Well, that's why I've always proposed I'm a big, strong, I'm a large component of like term limits on certain uh, things like presidency. You, instead of getting one, two, four year terms, you get one six year. So you're, because you look at it, basically yeah. your first year, you're trying to change things, get things set up. Your second, third year, you can actually do some things, but your fourth year, you're all running elections trying to get reelected. So your focus is diverted. Whether, yes, they're still running the country, but you can't tell me they're not thinking about what it is that uh, they need to do to get reelected. Right. So. Well, and then, and then you have two, like you're saying, you, they're thinking about all this. They're thinking about their next reelection. And then they're. Even after they're done with, let's say, their two terms, they're already thinking about the election of the next president, right? Yeah. Who, who is the next person power. that's going to come in power, right? So, so keep that going. Let me ask you this question. like, Do you think Ch the U.S. can do anything to prevent China from becoming the world's largest economy? Not the way we're going. Hell no. I mean, you look at it, if anything, and going back to the next five moves, right? I think Trump was doing a lot of good things with, but you know, oh, bringing the light to, to to a lot of the shit that China was doing. And administration, the, the Biden administration has come out and said some of the people he's picked that Trump was right to take on China the way he did. Yeah. Except Trump was just very open that he was doing. He was very vocal. Where this administration seems like, I mean, this president hasn't even addressed anybody yet. So I think they're saying it's the longest a president has ever gone without addressing Congress in any way. Because I think the latest one was like the, like, I think it was Obama did it like February 26th of his inauguration. It's like now we're into March and we haven't seen anything on Biden addressing anybody. Wasn't the State of the Union supposed to be in February? I don't know. I know, like, I do know, like, they cut him off. Like, he was addressing the House and they cut the live feed. He says, okay, do you want me to ask questions? Or Nancy, do you want me to take questions? Stuff like that. And the cut feed just boom, just like that. So thank you for watching. Like they don't want him in front of a camera or for some reason, and he hasn't addressed it anybody. Oh, yet. you know, I, I, yes, I do have a lot of thoughts and conspiracy okay, but back, but back thoughts to on it, that, like, but that but doesn't back to China aspect. Yeah. Like, do you think the U.S. could do anything? No, because again, they're not. The U.S. is not thinking strategically. the The U.S. is thinking always fighting with itself, always fighting, you know, one governor with another. The, these governors, they're all after the White House. They're all after that next position. Nobody's thinking. Five years, 10 years. Well, in reality, in politics, you should be thinking 20, 30 years ahead. Nobody's thinking that. Yeah. They're thinking the next six months, the next one year. China is. You understand? And we keep just making our com our country, we're making it weaker. We're printing all this money, and none of that money is going to infrastructure. None of that money is going to producing and creating Things that actually make money for us. Yeah. You know, making the U.S. actually generate revenue in, in a significant way. We're not investing in, you know, new technology that could revamp the world. We're not doing any of that. Yeah. All we're doing is fighting with each other, fighting with other countries. And again, going back to what I was saying is where I thought Trump was doing a few good things. He's also the same thing. Just thinking yeah. about right now. Well, so he, very he egocentric. Exactly that, though. And 
it was something that was just more about right now, not thinking strategically, not being smart about what makes sense for the country. Nobody's thinking about that. And China is. Well, Emma, that's the, you look at the different types of governance is like they have the, what is it with the C, what's this, what's the name of their government? It's the communist party of Republic of China or something like that. Yeah. They run a quasi capitalism, communism, communism kind of state yeah. towards like the government's, whatever the government says, the government does like, they don't really have quote unquote elections like they do here where somebody can be in power and stay in power for a long period of time to where you look at those two types of governing bodies. Like, I think that that party right now is winning because you don't, you have our issue with democracy. The people get voted in and you get it such a divided country, the way it's gone. And I'm curious, cause I wasn't old enough to see like, and, and if people understand, like comment below, like what was it like in the 1990s and 1980s? Was it like that to where one president came in, the other one reversed it. They flip flopped like they did. Cause I only know from 2008 to 2021. Of I just have seen three administrations, but that's exactly what happened. Is did Obama come in and reverse Bush's? Did Bush's reverse Clinton's? Oh, and then you also have, you know, you have two factors. One is the world is moving a lot faster than it was in the nineties. Yeah. Right. So when you're talking about one uh, president coming in and changing what the last one did, it's not. Back then, it wasn't moving as quickly and changing as drastically as it is well, right now. Well, you also don't have the media companies of instant speed that people can voice their opinions. Oh, 100%. Back in the 90s, like, that's Facebook. where, like, I, yeah, it's like that. I attribute a lot of this division to the ability to people to voice their opinions online and not people understand that. that the repercussions. You know, not repercussions. Like, you arguing with somebody online is never going to change anybody's mind. But yet, people do it all the time. And the way those things are their profit models work. They need you to stay on there doing that stuff so they can pump more ads to you. So they yeah. give you the more things to stay on there to engage with. Yeah, so that but just that's divides not, people that's further. not different than the, the way the media works. The difference is but, that the media is doing it for you. But yes, but the, the media was like, you had to choose to tune into that. It wasn't as ingrained as it was in your pocket in a simple tweet as it is like in the nineties. Like, yes, the media was doing that, but you had to choose to sit down and watch TV. You couldn't watch TV at work in three seconds. No. You can get online, check something, make a post in three seconds, 10 seconds and get oh, that division. We but haven't, we also haven't, I think again, it's the world is moving too quickly and people have not, the, our way of processing and educating our kids has not evolved all that much to show them how to manage all of this news and all of this thing that's coming in so quickly because yeah. the, parents don't know how to manage it oh because it's so, so new like that yeah. it hasn't adjusted so you have all of this coming in that it, it is very new for people um it's moving very quickly and people just don't know how to adjust a lot of people it's just that knee-jerk reaction when they do anything there's no real thought process to any of it they don't go deep into anything it's just a quick reaction quick headline and let's move on and if you have your friends that agree with you then you must be right you know what I mean? If you have your friends that give you a thumbs up on Facebook, then you must be right. So you you have all of this and you have no real, like, I think another issue that we have is the executive orders. Like, I don't think executive orders should work as easy as they do that, yeah. you know, you can come in and do, I don't know, how many did they do? Like 40 something executive orders, like the first day or some shit, like some in the first couple insane months, like, he, I think amount. He's done like the second most equipped to like FDR 
Yeah. During the great well, those crisis. are the things that I think are not good, where it's like, look, if you're going to undo something that was supposedly done as a 10, 20 year project for the U.S., you can't just do an executive order and undo it. Like there needs to be some actual thought process behind it. You know, maybe if it's not working, how do we modify it? Right. So the same thing, like Obama tried to redo the healthcare industry. Right. So he tried to redo it. Trump comes in, cancels Obamacare. It's like, hold on. Not everything about Obamacare was terrible, right? So well, he didn't cancel Obamacare. He just removed the tax mandate. Well, the tax. I'm, well, he was trying to revamp the whole thing again. Yeah, he was. He didn't do his own thing. Didn't work, but yeah. Okay, so he's trying to do all this, undo everything Obama did because it was Obama that did it. It's like, why not just instead of doing that, why not look at the system, what's not working, and let's tweak it, right? Then the next president comes in. Okay, this per this this is what's not working. Let's tweak it. Can we put the country first yeah. before we put our political well, views I mean, first? And going back to it, like how it started this conversation was China. And I have an article in here that says uh, too much stimulus in the U.S. may bring imported inflation to China, economists warn. So this is something that China, it's obvious they don't want to be stuck on the dollar system. They don't yeah. want, they want to be become the reserve currency of the world. And they're trying to make their economy the biggest. And my point is like, I don't think the U.S. could stop China. And I agree with you, unless they do something drastically changing. Just for the fact that they have almost like a billion more people than we do. I think their population is either 1.1, 1.2 billion, and we're 300 million. So they have way more people to create a middle class out of like we did after World War II to bring us to the standard um but as the u.s pumps trillions of dollars into the economy in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic economists are concerned about spillover effects in china including the risk of importing inflation so they're basically saying by importing inflation that there's going to be inflation in the united states and they're going to import it to the united states via their holdings so the u.s congress is reviewing one a 1.9 trillion stimulus package that critics say could cause inflations to soar and add debt levels that rose following last year's historic $2 trillion stimulus package. This is a quote from the former finance minister of China. The large-scale issuance of U.S. treasuries and the rapid expansion of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet have increased the spillover effect of U.S. macro policies. The U.S. and Europe have pursued extraordinary monetary policies in the last two years, said uh, Zhang Chen, director of credit at Bluestone Asset Management, referring to historically low interest rates and other policies to support economic growth. That caused a rise in commodity prices and pressures from imported inflation to, into China. And uh, the issue with this is, is China, the country, is the world's second largest holder of U.S. treasuries and has $3.2 trillion in foreign exchange reserve, mostly denominated in U.S. dollars. And they say as a recommendation, as for the near-term inflation concerns, analysts are watching the surge in prices for many commodities in which China is the world's largest consumer. Last month, copper prices rose to the highest level since 2011. These price increases would raise product costs in China. And they're saying when moving towards tighter policy, Chinese monetary policy will need to consider external risks, such as the potential of imported inflation and the long-run depreciation of the U.S. dollar as a result of stimulus in the United States. So they're watching this. They're seeing all this money come in. This all of the depreciation they're doing when they have the second largest holding of these things to where they're pumping this debt in the market. Somebody needs to be buying this stuff. Right. If the yes, the Federal Reserve can theoretically buy it all forever, but what problems is that going to be in a globalistic society that world that we have? You can't 
have that happen to where the world is going to constantly absorb that stuff. So you have China watching this. They have, they want to be the top dog. They're after the United States. Who's been there for seven, a 70 year run basically since after world war two. So uh, that's my concern, and that is obviously other people's concern with these stimulus packages, the way they're doing this, and people are watching out for what the U.S. is going to do and these assets of, like, the U.S. Uh, Treasury bills backed by the U.S. government. Do you have any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I mean... It's a lot. It, it's Well, no, it's not just a lot, but it's the same stuff that we were talking about. It's China also has an issue. Yes, they have a lot more people than we do. That's true. But you still have to work together, right? Because even a small country with less people working together is a lot more powerful than a divided large country, right? So, and that's what China does, or at least that's what they put out they do. Nobody knows what the hell China actually does because, you know, they don't actually share, they share whatever they want you to know, which is, again, very strategic, right? You only hear about China what they want you to hear about China. Yeah. Where in the U.S. you get all of our dirty laundry out there. Yeah, you understand. So they they can prepare. Thanks, Facebook. Yeah. No. <laughs> even the news. The yeah, same no, president. They're not strategic at all when they they fucking just blur out everything. So you have all of this. They don't have any real plan. Any you know, I don't. I don't know. I just. I don't feel that China has much of a competition with the U.S. We we're becoming soft as a country. Where nowadays, like this whole, what do they call it? The cancel culture. You, oh, God that's forbid you say an opinion. God forbid you tell a joke. You know, if somebody is too sensitive, now you're screwed. People are getting fired from movies, TV shows, everything from just making a, a opinion a, of being a, who they are. Whatever it is, right? Like you're no longer safe to do anything. You're no longer safe to say anything, to state your opinion. So it's becoming a very soft culture where now you just, you got to be careful what you say. You got to be careful who you offend. You got to be careful where you go. You get, it gets to a point where everybody's like walking on eggshells. Yeah. So you, you make a country very, very soft like that. You know what I mean? Like I grew up in construction. I grew up, well, and in, in also being in New York and everything like I didn't grow up around stuff like that. And now, like, I talk to somebody that way, and you can tell in their face how offended they are and how hurt they are that I'm telling them, hey, maybe you should actually put in some work. Yeah. What? You're telling me to work? What did I say wrong? You know what I mean? Oh, it's the tone of voice. Holy crap, the tone of voice? Really? You're that sensitive? You know what I mean? So you, you go through all that. It's like, what advantage do we have? I don't know. Innovation, we're selling it to China. Anything that we innovate, we give it to them. Yeah. Like, what? What is it that we have that The only thing that I hope is they are just controlling the media, the narrative, letting us see what they want to see to get eyeballs, to get reelected, but behind the scenes are actually doing doing something. Yeah. The faith that, like, that's sort of that, I can't remember the name of it, back to, like, high school when they're saying you have two types of people like you believe in the power of the people or you think people are inherently good or you think they're inherently bad they're flawed from the beginning or they actually are good people and like i try to lean more towards like i think people are naturally good and they will do the right thing on the majority not everybody yeah and i'm hoping that in our political system all the 
the hundreds of people that are employed on the top level and everybody underneath, like they're doing the right thing behind the scenes, not what's just being put out into the media. Yeah. Like I'm hoping that's what happens, but it goes back to Buffett's thing of like, never bet still a bet against America. Cause we still do have a capitalistic society that can move independently from the government to a more of extent than China can. So, well, that, but that's the key, right? Capitalistic society. Like that's what, we're moving away from. Yeah. We're moving away from capitalism. We're moving away from, you know, what the free market is, how the free market can actually protect us against all this. We're moving away from that because the, the this is the good and the bad about free markets, right? Is that the free market, while it can do a lot of good, it sometimes does bad because it overcorrects. Yeah. Right? The difference is the free market can overcorrect a lot faster than the government can. Yeah. So let's say the free market realizes it did something bad. It'll correct very quickly. Yeah. The government did something bad. It might still take years, decades for them to correct. To, yeah, exactly. So that's the, the, so, but then that's the problem is like the government is like, no, 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 we can't have any bad. You know what I mean? Because it hurts people's feelings. You know, people, people get sad. We don't want people to be sad. You know, Facebook, what's the new policy now? We don't want news. We don't want anything. We want entertainment and happy things. I'm like entertainment and happy things like what the hell are you saying you know what i mean like you know i'm sorry the world is not all unicorns and rainbows you yeah. know what i'm saying obviously like you you have a um that that wish that you asking santa for this christmas that the government is doing something good so you know whatever everybody has their belief systems well, but you know what i mean like the, that's not life Life well, it's also is like, ugly. We got to be willing to deal with that. To add to that point, I have an article in here titled Chipotle will link executive compensation to environmental and diversity goals. And that hard article alone was like, all right, I'm curious where they, they go with this. So starting this year, 10% of Chipotle's executive annual incentives will be tied to their progress towards achieving company goals. And some of those goals are the company plans to publish its carbon footprint, including all indirect emissions along its value chain by the end of the year, faster than its prior expected publication date of 2025. The company will announce new sustainable goals stemming from those learnings when the report is released. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. Chipotle is also seeking to maintain racial and gender pay equality and promote more women and people of color above the restaurant level, meaning into the management of Chipotle. It has created a training academy with online courses that teach a wide range of skills from the conflict resolution to setting goals with the aim of helping employees of all backgrounds climb the corporate ladder. I'm fine with all that. And it's cool. I agree. More women, more diversity, everything. It's when they, fo I'm worried that they're going to focus too much on that and they hurt talent pools that you look at the women in the workforce, the diversity of the population between different races and stuff like that. Uh, I think uh, Patrick, Bad David talked about this, that somebody said that they were only going to hire a, a certain number percentage yeah. of African-Americans. He's like, but when you look at the talent pool, there was only 10% of that talent pool was that subset that they were targeting that they wanted to put 50% above to where you are eliminating all the talent of people that are capable of doing the job. I believe if you're capable of doing the job between it shouldn't matter race, color, sex, anything, if you're capable of doing it, you should get the job. So I'm all for them creating these incentives to letting people help them climb the corporate ladder. But when they focus on it too much, it's to your point that they, different so many organizations can hurt themselves the long term because they eliminate 
the most capable people doing the job because they're only focusing on diversity. Well, and, and we, what well, we talk about overcorrection, right? You are now overcorrecting racism and discrimination and diversity. You're overcorrecting. Where you want to eliminate all that, just make it equal. Period. Equal. Not overcorrect. Make it equal. Where the best person gets the job. Period. Yeah. Whoever that is. Now, do we have an issue of lack of education towards minorities and stuff like that to make them qualify for these positions? Okay, I agree with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Educate them better. Yeah, and that's what you I'm, know, offer the education. But now, changing the policies. To say, no, we're only going to do this. You are hurting yourself because if you're bringing on m more minorities just because it's politically correct or it looks great on Facebook, but they're not the right people, your business is going to suffer. Yeah. You understand? Now you're overpaying somebody that doesn't have the talent to be there, that doesn't have the skill set to be there. So you're hurting yourself. You're doing a disservice to them because now you're paying somebody. You're making them think they're worth something that they're really not. Just because of their skin color or their background, their race, or whatever it like, is, right? So it's like, to me, that that's you're revert, you're mean, going racist in a different direction, or you're discriminating in a whole different direction now. Because I mean, if you get that on a, a, a mass scale, and you get all these corporate executives, like that's where I said it could hurt the nation moving forward. Yeah. But you also have you don't hire that person that has the capability. What are they going to do? They're, if they're not happy and they know they're worth more, they can go start their own business. Yeah. So that's kind of that pendulum swing of things that like where I like believe in capitalism. We're both capitalists. We own our own business that it's like if they don't get the job, they're going to go create a company and replace what they couldn't or these other big companies are doing. So over time, as long as like the government and the big organizations don't suppress them and create these monolistic uh, mono monopolies, right. um, policies kind of mono, mono I'm looking for monopolistic policies <laughs> that then you're going to have other companies rise up and move quicker. Right. So it is something. So as long as like long-term policies and laws don't get put in place that hinder people from being able to start a business, making it harder for them to start a business over-regulate. Yeah. Then over the long term, don't bet against America. Uh, it, it's, I think it is, like I said, we, everybody is just going to the other extreme now, you know, is plus is there racism? Yes, there yeah. is, and there's always going to be some level of racism. If it's not towards black, it's going to be towards Hispanics. It's going to be towards Asians. It's it's always something. There's yeah. always going to be something. There's always going to be work to be done, yeah. right? And is there discrimination? Yes, and there's always going to be discrimination. Now, what I'm saying is that if you want those things to end, you don't overcorrect. Newsom, when he came, we talked about the stimulus that they're releasing in California, uh, last week we talked about it, and Newsom said how $2 billion is going to be allocated to small businesses with a main focus in minority-owned businesses. To me, I'm like, that's, okay, so then if you're not a minority, but you're struggling, you're not going to get any help. Tough cookie. To me, it's like, uh, what, what, what good is that? It yeah. just makes you look good as a politician. That's all you care about. Yeah. But in, if you want to eliminate it, you need to just be equal. Yep. You understand? A, a black person, a, a Hispanic person, a white person needs to be the, treated the same regardless of where they go, what they do. They need to be treated the same. If you need help, 
you get help regardless yeah. of what you look like. If you're the best person for the job, you're the best person for the job, regardless of who you are. You understand? That's how you eliminate it. You make it equal. You don't yep. go to, to me, as as a Hispanic, even though I'm white, so I haven't suffered direct racism, but as an immigrant, I've suffered discrimination because I couldn't work. I couldn't do a lot of things as an immigrant. Yeah. I couldn't even get a driver's license. But as that person, I feel disrespected and belittled that now it's like, oh, come here, you little minority. Here, have this. Oh, you're a minority. Here, have this. No, let me earn it. Yeah. I'm not asking for a handout. I'm just asking for a fair chance, right? But now we're not given a fair chance. We're doing handouts. And I think, I think that's dangerous. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. It doesn't support anything. So, but well, we are, I, I do need to go see the house. So I did want to touch on what we said we were going to touch on. Is Texas overvalued should we not be you know should investors go look for somewhere else I've, i was asked this question this week uh by an investor he was like hey you guys are investing in texas you seem to be doing a lot you know very well what what do you see is it too late what do i do so you well, actually have an article well, i got two so i'll start with the one of the texas earns national recognition for most capital improvements for ninth year in a row so this ties into real estate of the money flowing here so this was done by the Business Journal. It's like for the ninth consecutive year, the Lone Star State led the United States for capital investment in 2020. So when you talk about is real estate overvalued, are you telling me the entire United States believes that Texas is so overvalued that everyone, nobody sees it, that we're the ninth consecutive year winning of the most capital investment? On March 1st, Site Selection Magazine awarded Texas the 2020 Governor's Cup for having the most economic development project last year. The state had roughly 781 projects wow. underway in 2020. Texas project count ranked far ahead of number two, Ohio, with 419, so almost double the number of projects that are going on. And Ohio was also awarded a 2020 Governor's Cup for having the most projects per capita. Texas came in six for number of projects per capita. Okay, Texas wasn't number one on the number of like per capita because I agree. It's like, okay, the number of people here should reflect that. But still, Texas is a huge state. There's a lot of people here. I mean, we're only number six as far as per capita, and we're also the largest number of product. That's fantastic to see. So now heading over to... The three reasons we're definitely not in a in a housing bubble, keeping current matters. So this was actually sent to us by a friend of ours, uh, Lawrence Rutowski, and uh, actually sent us a good article for once. So <laughs> Very surprising. So it goes three reasons. Like home values appreciation by about 10% in 2020, and they're forecasted to appreciate by another 5% this year. This has some voicing concerns that may be, and we may be in another housing bubble like the one we experienced a little over a decade ago. So first point one, this time a housing supply is extremely limited. The price of a, any market item is determined by supply and demand. If supply is high and demand is low, prices normally decrease. If supply is low and demand is high, prices naturally increase. Between 2006 and 2008, the month's supply of inventory increased from just five months to 11 months. The month's supply was over seven months in 27 of the 36 months, yet home values continue to rise. Months inventory has been under five months for the, and currently, months of inventory has been under five months for the last three years, under four months for 13 of the last 14 months, under three for the last six months, and currently stands at 1.9 months of inventory across all of the United States. So 
to that, I don't wanna go read all this. So the first point, this time housing supply is extremely limited. Expand on that of why you think that is a good reason that we're definitely not in a housing bubble. Well, it's precisely that. We have very limited inventory, very limited inventory, and we're having more and more people come to Texas because of the job opportunities and funny enough, because of the politics, right? Like it's it's business friendly, it's affordable. I mean, we have people moving here because how expensive it's gotten on either coast. It's gotten mm -hmm. ridiculously expensive to live there. And you know, you're representing a buyer right now for, for a listing and everything, and they're able to sell their home over there and get a massive property here in the Dominion, you know, in a very exclusive area and everything. Cool, nice yard, nice size lot. Everything it's, it's that beautiful. they wouldn't be able to afford in California, right? So in California, that house will be owned by a celebrity or something. So you're, you're looking at that affordability, you're looking at all that, and we are just getting started with all this. Yeah. The infrastructure that Texas has for growth is immense the companies that have just started to relocate the massive companies and then that's not even counting all the smaller companies that have been relocating um last i heard what was it uh shoot wells far no not wells Fargo. it was another bank ah damn it, i can't remember who it was goldman sachs it was one of them oh schwab no i don't know but they're, they moved here they're getting they were leasing like eight hundred thousand square feet of space in texas relocating their headquarters and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I don't know, like the NASDAQ, like NASDAQ trading company platform industry. Like they were talking about yeah. moving their platforms here because New York's trying to come out with, uh, taxing trades. Mm. And like, if you do that, we're gone. Like the New York stocks exchange came out and said that <laughs> Texas, uh, NASDAQ, they're like, you pass that crap. We're out. And that, that'd be a huge hit to places 100%. like hundred percent. So you, you have all of that. You have low inventory and you have so many of these policies, like the article that you just talked about before, of how, and now, you know, all of the things that Abbott is doing to try to open back up Texas and everything, it's just, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. We're just getting started. Oh, and there's some people that said this, like you see all the news being filled with, oh, Texas is... Uh, he, Biden calls Neanderthals um, that was this hilarious. week, but there's people who come out and it was a celebrity. I can't remember who it was that said like the second that came out, no masks in Texas. I'm moving there today Yeah, and just declared it right there. Well, like, I'm gone. That, that's what I find hilarious. Even the reason why they're trying to get rid of Newsom and everything, they, they went too far. Yep. You understand? They've gone too far. Flo New York, they're flooding to Florida. So, let me, and now the caveat, because I know a lot of people say this too, is, well, yeah, what are all these people not paying their mortgage? When all these foreclosures happens, it's going to crash the real estate market. How would you combat that? Here argument? in Texas? No, the, just the nation. I mean, because this is a national aspect. And Texas is uh, just being in real estate and here and doing the stuff that I yeah. do with our market updates. I know we're right in there with that. I know there's some high, some low. We're a part well, that, of the low. Well, that's the thing that you have is when you have such low inventory and you have so many people moving, are we going to have full foreclosures when uh, I would say if the uh, moratoriums are ever over? Um, yes, we will. But I don't think it's going to be to a point like a 2008 kind of foreclosure or anything like that because the equity spread these houses are having yeah. is insane. There's some crazy stuff. In the way these houses spreads. are appreciating. What was what was the the research we used to do? We used to go driving for dollars, right? We would create a list and they would scrub it through our, the county to see if any deed transfers were later than 10 years old, right? Mm -hmm. Because we didn't want houses that were 10 years or newer of deed transfers that somebody might have bought it because there's no equity. We've gone down to like five years, 
if yeah. that, because the appreciation we have seen in, in these last, last five years, five years oh, has mean, been nuts. So the last six months were 10% year over year meeting sales price increases. Yeah. And, and the properties that we're holding, the, the, uh, we're about to buy a package of deals, right? Of, of a bunch of properties from the last time you ran comps to now that package, you know, has been going up. You understand? Like everything that we're doing is real estate, all of that. That's why I believe like kind of going back to the point that That's I made. It's not guaranteed, but it's one of those things that like, no, and nothing's guaranteed, right? We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We we just had like a black sun event that, you know, that was completely unexpected with COVID, right? Yeah. So we, excluding the unforeseen, yeah, excluding the unforeseen, the move, especially all these massive companies relocating, all of these things, that's the first step. There's a tail that follows all of that. You understand that hasn't hit For Texas sure. yet. So we have that long tail of all these companies, all these people moving here that hasn't hit Texas yet. It's like, and one thing great for a real estate market is an influx of people. Like you show that, like, and I'm curious when they ever release this census data from 2020, what has changed from 2010 to 2020 as far as population and migration and stuff like yeah. that. We can see it with the U-Haul reports that people are leaving the coasts, leaving the Northeast, leaving the West Coast, and they're going south and they're going in. Well, so, and then and then you're also going to have, you know, tourism is going to start picking up. People are desperate to travel. As much as everybody likes to be appalled by whatever, you know, the mass mandates and all this. They go to other countries in a heartbeat and remove their masks as soon as they get there. Yeah. You understand? Like people are desperate to go places. So Texas opening up, not mandating masks. Tourism. Tourism is going to start picking oh, yeah. up again. That's fantastic for our hotel and yeah. hospitality industry So here. you have, and especially in San Antonio, like we're going to have much more growth. We have a lot more growth to go. I mean, we we haven't even begun to hit the, the I think the, that even like the rise of the growth that we have in San Antonio. So- yeah, I mean, I don't see Texas slowing down anytime soon. Texas or the, or the nation in that sense across the board. Well, the nation, I think it, it, it's going to matter where you are, right? Yeah. Like if you go to New York, I think but New York nationally, is, the housing market's also not going to crash because that also depends no. on our, our lending market depends on that. So if it crashes everywhere but Texas, like we're going to have, have some spillover because it's harder to get money yeah, and mortgages for that. So the second point, this time households have this time compared to 2008 this time households have plenty of equity again during the housing boom it wasn't just purchasers who got caught up in the frenzy existing homeowners started using their homes like atm machines from 2005 through 2007 americans pulled out a record 824 billion dollars in equity Today, the banks and the American people have shown they learned the valuable lesson from the housing crisis a little over a decade ago. Cash out refinance volume over the last three years was less than a third of what it was compared up to the three years leading up to the crash of 2008. Atom Data Solutions just released their fourth quarter 2020 U.S. Home Equity Report. In the, If we combine the 38% of homes that are owned free and clear with the 18.7% of homes that have at least 50% equity, we realize that 56.7% of all homes in the country have a minimum of 50% equity. Having That's significantly better than the equity situation of 2008. So when we talk about the foreclosure aspect, all these foreclosures are going to come back. There's just because they're in foreclosure doesn't mean that they don't have massive amount of equity. If they've owned their house for the past three years, yeah. probably they got room to get out. 
unless they've been like they are demanding all this back interest. They get no forgiveness for all the interest because when you stop paying your mortgage, that interest goes up so fast. Oh yeah, especially in the first couple of years. But to see that massive amount of equity sitting there in people's houses. It, it, that's fantastic to see as far as like there's a housing bubble forming housing's going to crash so what do you no i, I agree 100 percent. it's the same thing when people uh, i've been telling people consistently because there's still people invest uh marketing the foreclosures and i i did a workshop this week and also we have a workshop coming up on march 20th that we're doing on for you to get started in wholesaling um but i did a workshop about cold calling and all that. And people were like, well, what about marketing to foreclosures because of short sales? Like short sales are a very tedious process to go through and people don't have the motivation to do it. People didn't have the motivation of going through it because the seller has to do a lot of the work on a short sale. They didn't have the motivation to do it back before when foreclosures were big. Now, when they know they're not being kicked out of their homes, they have no reason to. And then you add, because we've covered stats on this on, on the previous po- uh, episodes. There, You're talking about like, I think it was about 1%, 1 to 4% of the mortgages are in forbearance are close to negative equity. Close to negative equity. That's it. The rest all have equity in them. And there's only like 5% of federal mortgages are even in forbearance anyways. Yeah. So it's so like- you're looking at all this and it's like most of the homes have a bunch of equity. Even if foreclosure comes, they can still list their home, sell it fast, take care of the mortgage and walk away with money. You understand? So I don't see foreclosure being an issue. Uh, I don't either. I don't see that being a reason that the market's going to tank. No. So the third point, this time housing demand is real. During the housing boom in the mid-2000s, without considering historic market trends, people got caught up in the frenzy and bought houses based on unrealistic beliefs that the housing value would continue to escalate. Basically, just making a bet on no fundamentals except for the fact that I can afford this mortgage, I can put no money down, and I can sell it in six months to a year for more money than I brought. They were buying it like a day trading housing and real estate and stocks with a massive amount of debt. The mortgage industry fed into the craziness by making mortgage money available to just about anyone, as shown in the Mortgage Credit Availability Index, published by the Mortgage Bankers Association. The higher the index, the easier it is to get a mortgage. The lower the index, the more difficult it is to obtain one. Prior to the housing boom, the index stood just below 2,000. Or, I'm sorry, I don't know where I got 2,000. Prior to the housing boom, the index stood just below 400 in 2006. The index hit an, in 2006, the index hit an all-time high of over 868. Again, just about anyone could get a mortgage. Today, the index stands at 122.5, which is well below even the pre pre-boom level. So basically in leading up to the housing boom, it, you have like 400 to get a point in the middle of the boom. They're saying it rose all the way 868. And today it's down at 122, less than half than what it was before even the boom started in 2003, four, five, and six. In the current real estate market, demand is real, not fabricated. Millennials, the largest generation in the country, have come of age to marry and have children, which are two major drivers for home ownership. So that is the third reason. What do you? <laughs> I mean, I, I completely agree. I I think one of the biggest rises that we're seeing is that we're seeing millennials. They're coming in. It's a large demographic that's coming in. They're they're finding themselves wealthier and wealthier now too. I mean, millennials have money. 
They have money saved up. You know, we we saw that uh, for a couple they're years. More money. Huh? They're getting more money now. Yeah, they're getting more money, and now what they keep pushing for to eliminate student loan debt and all of that. They're pushing to come up with a new credit system, right? Credit rating system that doesn't go on whether you got in, what was it? If you had a bankruptcy, if you got in foreclosure, like it doesn't look at those things. Like it's some, it's a credit system that they're, they're ah, man, something the government's coming up with where it's going to be a credit rating system. Government, we're here to help. Always. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a government uh, rating system, credit system that's going to pretty much a it's going to make it hard for you not to qualify for things. Yeah. So more debt, right? That's more debt, more loans, more everything. You have debt. You have things that you're not paying. Don't worry about it. Moral hazard. Gone out the window. We forgive your loans. We forgive your debt. We'll take care of this. We'll take care of that. So for uh, Biden proposed that first time homebuyer assistance as well, of like an extra $15,000. Um, we talked about now they're coming back with uh, adjustable rate mortgages to make it where people are pretty much going into a house, not just with no money, but like they're giving them money to go into a house and they're giving them an adjustable rate mortgage, which that was the biggest problem that we had in 2008 was adjustable rate mortgages. When they adjusted, they went from like 2% to 6% and some were paying up to north of 12% interest. Like it was Killing they had, they them. Had those teaser rates. Like, yeah, like, those those teaser rates. Well, even are... people knew because, like, oh, in three years they'll be able to sell this house for so much money. It doesn't even matter what the teaser rate is. But when everybody was doing that, it crashed everything. Yeah. But now when they talk about the demand is real because the the person that has no money, doesn't have a job, just has some cash, can afford that thing, can't get a mortgage anymore. I mean, yeah. hell, as a just a business owner, if you own more than twenty percent equity in a company, to say you're a business owner, your qualifications drastically change to be able to get a mortgage. Yep. As far as a federal thirty year fix rate, you can go commercial loans, you can get other things that way, but. As far as like those housing mortgages are cut off to a lot of people that could have gotten houses in 2004, five, and six. I think we had a friend of ours. He said, like, I bought a house in 2006. They finance 100% of the entire purchase. I put no money down on stated income alone. Oh, yeah. And like, what do you mean stated income? It's like, I told them I made $100,000, which I didn't. And they asked for no verification and funded the purchase 100%. He's like, that's what they were doing well, in 2004, 5, 6, and leading had, up to uh, the housing boom. I have a closer crash. example because it was my, my own brother. So this was back, I want to say. He doesn't watch this, does he? it's not it's not a lie um he, he was this was back in 2002 2003 i want to say around there um so at that he was what 23 yeah 23 years old he was gonna buy a house the, he had everything ready to go the only reason he didn't buy a house was because my dad told him he wasn't gonna buy a house Right. We, we do come from a family where if my dad says something. We did it. It doesn't matter how old you are. <laughs> you know, it was just how it goes. But my, my brother, he's like, I don't understand. I qualify for this. My dad, he's like, you don't remember, you idiot. I sign your paychecks. I know how much you make. But the bank knows that, too. He's like, well, the bank is wrong. He's like, it's just math. You can't afford this house. You understand? But they were willing to give a 23 year old a two hundred and $40,000 mortgage, I believe it was, when he was making like 500 a week. My dad, he's like, no, you can't afford this. And it was an adjustable rate mortgage and everything. That's why the first, you what know. What year was this? 2003. Oh, so he would have been 
True. Oh, oh, royally. Well, sort of, because my parents bought during that time frame too, and it, 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 up until the crash, houses appreciated like crazy in New York. Oh yeah. So, so I mean, as long as you got out before two thousand seven, yeah. you were fine. And my, and my parents got out before then, so they capitalized very nicely on like a few years of owning the house. But they were giving that to my brother. You know what I mean? A twenty-two year old kid, twenty-three year old kid that makes five hundred a week, a two hundred and forty thousand dollar mortgage. It was like. If it wasn't for my dad, he would have bought the house. Yeah, you understand? It's like no, and and it seems like we're getting back to to that. And you were telling me right, with, um, some your friend or somebody from California was telling you how they're giving them a loan. What was the loan that they were getting like over ask? Yeah, or they're saying like how? Because the agent asked like how does it qualify? He was asking the mortgage broker, and they went in this elaborate way of saying, oh well, this is how they're able to do it. And it was doing, it was something like that. I didn't dig into it, but they said like the house, because he's like, they were asking for way over what they asked for the house yeah. to try to get in the door to say, we're paying you more money to accept our offer. And like the agent reached out. They were like, offering way more than they were asking for the house. Yeah. So they, okay. uh, yeah. So they put the price for a certain price and this person came in to beat because they're super competitive yeah, yeah, yeah. in Southern California to where like they were way up here and they're like, I get you want to pay that, but you're getting a loan. The bank's not going to lend that, which is a disservice to my client because I'm accepting this offer, thinking yeah. they're going to make that money. But then the bank comes in and says, nope, we're only going to offer you this amount. But apparently they went into a way of saying, oh, but this is how we're able to do that. We do some tax things. We do some stuff here to move things around. Yeah. So the, apparently out there they found a way because back in 2006, 7, 8, Kiyosaki talked about it. He's like, they were lending like 120% against people's houses. Oh, 100 yeah. So they'd fund like 100%, and then they take out a second loan for the other 20% to get up to like what the over ask the price to get it. He's like, that's when I knew a bubble was forming, and they sold everything in California and moved it to Texas uh, prior to everything like crashing and stuff or being ready to take advantage when things dipped. That yeah. That's what they talked about. And it's like, so we're getting back into that, but a different way. It's not like, oh, it's not the same thing, but it rhymes, doesn't it? Like the end net end result is the same. And that's where some of the, you get those places out there. That's why you, the West coasts are in like the Northeast, like they're boom busts. They go up super fast and, but they come down j even harder. Yeah. And cause they don't have the stability because that's just the way people think that's the way the business are set up. And when you have that across entire regions, everyone figures out ways to get that piece done at some point no so, it, it, it's it's what we talk about they keep adjusting they keep modifying everything changing everything so it works to what they want it to work to and one of the things i was talking about earlier was just the fhfa how they extend forbearances again so now they're allowing up to they went from 12 months to 15 months now they're going to 18 months of coverage and according to them eligibility for extension is limited to borrowers who are on COVID-19 forbearance plans as of February 28, 2021. So if you applied for forbearance by February 28 of this year, you are essentially good to go for 18 months from now. So they were saying- so It wasn't 18 months from the beginning. It was no, 18 no, 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 months from, from whenever you go into forbearance. So because you, you get the 12 months oh, and okay, then the gotcha. so other extensions- Mm -hmm. Got you. So the FHFA said other limits may apply to the extensions, but did not provide further details. Of course not, because they're coming up with this as they go. The with, the, with the new extension set in motion, some borrowers may now be in forbearance through August 31, 2022. Ooh. 
in forbearance. So when you're talking about foreclosures, short sales, all this nonsense, guys, look, that well, spread, shift your strategy. Whatever pain's going to be there, they're spreading it out. They learned their lessons from 2008 of what happens when you just dump all that inventory. Spreading it out. They're eliminating it. I no, mean, well, it's getting to a point where it's like, I, I believe, the, the, here's my thing. Here's my point, right? You want to do this. You want to help out people. You want to do all this. I'm I'm 100% for it because you, you cost this. And in, in the sense that you shut down the economy, you shut down everything, and you say, hey, go pay your bills. Okay. Yeah. Right? So I agree. You got to help them out. But what you have to do, though, is there has to be a check and balance. You cannot be given all this stimulus, all these things, all these forgiveness, and people are not even making an attempt because they don't need to. You know what I mean? That's where I think it's the dangerous part where it's like, look, you need to, you're going to get stimulus, you're going to get this, right? But you need to show that you're making an attempt to pay your mortgage. You need to show that you're making an attempt to get a job, to learn a skill, to do something with your life and not just sit at home well, not doing shit. I know, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, So my point to what I said, like they're spreading out the pain. So if you ended all the forbearances at once and you had everybody foreclosed on at once mm-hmm. now they're spreading it out over 18 months to where if now somebody has a longer time to try to recover has more time to do a refinance has more time to do a loan modification over that time so now say somebody entered in march so now they only have until august of this year and their forbearance program ends but now it's depending on when people enter the program. So it's spread out over basically August of this year to August of next year that people have opportunities to either sell their properties or to get a job and make up or rectify the loans. So that's why I mean like they're spreading out the pain. They're not, el- yes, I, I see your point when they're saying they're eliminating it, but they said they're, I think they're also spreading it out for the fact that you can't dump all that inventory on market without causing huge pains in and making a death spiral all the way down. So now they're spreading out over time. So those people are still hurt or they're able to have more opportunity to rectify the situation, but they don't want the market to crash because that's their way out is they didn't let everybody in at once like they did in 2007 and eight. It's really dumped all the inventory and that just made it even a worse problem as it spread throughout the market. Now it's spread out to where as long as they can keep the housing market up, they can keep the stock market up, they can keep things floating by, it's going to be little by little those pieces hit the market so it doesn't create a domino effect that crashes everything. That's well, why I say and, they're kind of spreading it out. And also, I mean, I, I get what you're saying and and I agree. Again, I'm not saying I I disagree with the forbearance or, or with helping people out. What I'm saying is that it's the same thing when they do the tax cuts for uh, the rich and all these things. The incentive needs to be that you're going to get this as long as you do this you know what i mean like you're gonna get the forbearances you're gonna get all this but you still need to show that you're making an attempt to pay your mortgage you still need to show that you're making an attempt to bounce back that you're doing something that where you're not just taking this and just not doing anything with it because what's going to happen is that you're the end of these forbearances are going to be over and now the banks are going to be doing loan modifications and everything i mean on billions of dollars yeah. of mortgages because it's going to be such a shit show with everybody like, all right, well, we haven't been paying for like two years now. Well, that's what Brian Pauling just made a comment, like when in forbearance, who pays the taxes and insurance? Nobody. Well, the bank does because they're not going to let insurance lapse on their houses because like they want the insurance company to be covered. And we've seen like that's yeah. how they get so far behind is like 
bank takes care of tax insurances for a while and depending on who the bank is but that's like yeah that's but where, does it, where and then where does the bank get taken care of by the government the, yeah the banks get taken so there again we go back to like we're creating no moral hazard anymore where we're we're creating this habit i'm just curious what this is all gonna look like when it's all over what does that bounce back look like does do people go back to doing things the smart way or is it or is this the new standard of like well that's what we talked about previously in these podcasts they're like they're enforcing risk they're forcing you to take the zones like what yeah. the fiscally conservative thing to do is not do that but when all your competitors do it you get you go out of business because like you to. have to do it so it's one of the things like buffett says like you can't invest in bonds you can't do short-term things cash is trash like you have to get that to work you have to get capital to work to essentially reinvent the financial system not reinvent so why but, is like, he doing away- stocks buyback stock buybacks because he believes in his companies and his what was he doing with all that cash that his company has now so he's buying shares back like what? What's happening with all that money? Like, it, I mean, why not use that money to invest it instead well, of buying? Well, because stocks he has back. so much money, and he believes in the business he has that it's like his best investment right now is investing back into his own company because he believes in his holdings. There's no other investment out there but but his own company. Like, well, that's crazy. Yeah, because he doesn't like he's on the like they're saying he's looking to make an acquisition, but he's not finding anything that he wants. I mean, the guy's also ninety years old too, well, and he's in the he's transition. He's ninety, but he does have people that are yeah. ready to succeed him. That they've been at his hip for the last twenty, thirty years, learning his ways, right? So, I mean, he doesn't. He's not surrounded by idiots. They're doing yeah. the numbers. But one thing that I see is like we. I had a conversation with an investor out of uh, I want to say North Dakota. He said. So like I never met anybody from out there. Um up there. He he says he says over here the country does bad, we're st- we're at three percent growth. The country does good, we're at three percent growth. The country does nothing, we're at three percent growth. Yeah. He's like, this economy just does not do it does not move, move in any direction. Yeah, like San Antonio in the um, Texas market where like we never boom as high, but we never drop as low as the other. Oh, markets. we're booming now. But one one of the things that he said is that he his dream was to build or is to build a, like a billion dollar company with the the strategy that he's implementing and all this. And then he realized that there are companies out there doing what he's doing and they're, you know, they're worth a lot more than he is and everything. He's like, so he's like, yeah, I think that dream is out the window. I was like, well, that's the thing though. You're, you're thinking of building a billion dollar company because you're going to build a great company. He's like, yeah. I was like, no, that's not how it goes anymore. You build a billion dollar company by raising a billion dollars. Like all it is now, the way I look at it is these are all Ponzi scheme companies. It's just like we talk about open door. All they're doing is making sure the next round of funds is bigger than the last round of funds they raise. And they just keep raising the next and they keep raising the next and keep raising the next. And because you look at their business model and it's like, you're losing money. Your business model loses money. It doesn't generate any income. Yet you're worth more and more because you keep raising more and more money. I'm like, you what you gotta if you want a billion dollar company, get really good at raising money where you become so big that they can't let you fall because then a lot of investors are gonna get wiped out. So then they start they all drinking the Kool-Aid. It's a freaking Ponzi scheme. That's all these companies are. You know what I mean? I was like, so if you want to become a billion dollar company, go learn so go learn from Madoff. Speaking on that, we're coming towards the end of the Two Aww. hours and stuff like that. And we thought this one was going to be short. <laughs> yeah. 
So speaking of raising money and just being worth more and more and more, Elon Musk, SpaceX mm. raises $850 million, jumping valuation to about $74 billion. So SpaceX, you, we had this conversation today about it. You're like, how is it worth that much and everything? It's like SpaceX is still a, pub, a privately held company, right. not publicly traded. So it's just de- its value is determined on how much money it can raise and at what share price it sells it at and times the number of shares outstanding. That's what it's worth. So for you all that don't know, SpaceX is his rocket ship company and his ambition to connect the world. So SpaceX completed an equity funding round of $850 million last week. People familiar with the, the financing told CNBC, sending the company's valuation to $74 billion. SpaceX's latest funding round represents a jump of about 60% in the company's valuation from its previous round in August. So from August of 2019 to this year, when SpaceX raised near $2 billion at $46 billion valuation. So just in a year, it's jumped 60% or less than a year. I'm talking six months. Starlink is its ambitious project. And this is actually kind of cool. So, I mean, Elon like does some cool stuff. Oh, it's yeah. like, but it's just like betting on that is like, dude, go ahead. I, I, I don't know. But like, that's the risk. You said the risk bet that you could throw money at to see if it works out. So Starlink is its ambitious project to build an interconnected internet network with thousands of satellites known in the space industry as a constellation, building a constellation of satellites around the United the world designed to deliver high speed internet to consumers anywhere on the planet. SpaceX leaderships has previously estimated Starlink will cost about $10 billion or more to build, but believes that the network could bring in as much as 30 billion a year or more than 10 times the annual revenue of its existing rocket ship business. The company disclosed to the Federal Communications the FCC filing last week that Starlink has over 10,000 users in the United States and abroad in just over three months since the public beta began. Customers in the U.S., Canada, and U.K., the company recently widened the scope of the public beta, allowing prospective users to pre-order Starlink service for $99. Pre-order messages tell users that SpaceX is targeting coverage in your area in mid to late 2021 with pre-orders, say, 2022. So I think the, the, the Starlink, I think it's a cool name, like Starlink. Oh, uh, like yeah. 10- 10,000 satellites, a constellation around the world. You can get high speed internet anywhere at any time, but it just shows like, well, that was a, that's, a, that was the whole thought of 5g. 5g is to be able to provide internet literally to anywhere. And you can do it just by having light posts throughout. Like they can balance the signal off of a lot of things. Like 5g is to co- essentially connect the most rural area with the internet that's Sub-Sahara, instantaneous. Sub-Saharan Africa. Anywhere. Like, anywhere. Anyway, I, I, was, like, I wasn't even going that far. I was just going to Texas. Like, go to West Texas. It's like, <laughs> you know, fucking service. Um, but you go, you know. Go to H-E-B off of Broadway. Get the yeah, back yeah, of the store. And it's go like, to the back of the store. There's no service. service. In H-E-B. So, you know, the, those things are happening. And, and I, I, I like I like Elon Musk. He, pu- he pushes the envelope for sure with a lot of areas. Um, I think he has a lot of fun with the market with people. He loves tweeting something and seeing oh. all the idiots follow them. The uh, the valuation that he raised the money at, you know what it was per share? Mm. Four nineteen ninety nine. Four nineteen ninety nine. Penny under the four twenty like aspect that he got in trouble for. It's like he has fun with what he does. hundred percent. Like, to the extent that it's like people are like, yeah, I'm cool with it because most of you weren't Elon Musk. Like. Come on, that's why am I going to give you money if you have a sense of humor with raising my money? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. But like, four nineteen ninety nine because that's what, just funny. We Here's go back, my money. We go back to it. People are not investing because it's smart; they're investing because it's cool. 
Yeah. You know, so those are the things that I think is uh, getting very dangerous. But there, there was something that uh, one of the Bet David podcast uh, they had somebody um, on there that said the American dream used to be owning a home. Yeah. She was an immigrant that came over here and said the American dream was to be able to be an American and own a house in America. It's like anymore that narrative is not true. It's like you want to be an American and be able to invest in America. It's to be an American investor. It's like that's the cool thing now to be instead of a homeowner. It's like I want to be an investor because you look at what's happening with Robinhood, the GameStop. Like people are taking their stimulus checks that are supposed to be used for basic necessities, and they want to be an investor. And the barrier of entries have Gambling. been eliminated. Yeah. But like they want to feel like they're investors and be an investor. Well, we. That's what it is. We analyze trends and we see what's coming. So hopefully you guys have been getting some great value out of this. If you have, make sure you hit that like button and tell your friends about it. But that is it for today. We are wrapping up at a great episode. A lot of good things. Again, if you're curious about whether it's smart to invest in Texas, yes, it is. Texas still has a long ways to go. So I hope you guys have been enjoying this and continue to enjoy. We'll be back every Friday, 8 a.m., bringing you the best trends, tips, headlines that are going to affect you and your business and your investing. What's up, podcast? If you are getting value out of this right now and you're saying, damn, John, this is some good shit. This is some good information. And I just ask you, just shoot on over to YouTube and just Find this video and give me a little thumbs up on there. It helps me so much. You have no idea how much it means to me. With all the work and everything that we put into this, it it really helps us grow our channel and grow our our reach. So if you can just, if you're finding some value, just shoot on over to YouTube, find an investor's journey, find this video and just give it a little thumbs up. That means the world. Thank you.